Welcome to Why Advice, a regular podcast aimed at financial clarity and demystifying financial advice. In this episode, I'm joined by Andrew Wooten. Andrew is the general manager of FYG Planners, a financial advice dealer group with licensed advisors across every state in Australia. We discuss what a financial advice dealer group does, along with the current advice regulatory environment in Australia. This is particularly relevant due to the increasing compliance burden and associated costs placed on advisors since the Banking Royal Commission. In the time since we recorded this episode, it has been announced that James Shipton, the chairman of the financial services regulator ASIC, will be departing his post after an expenses issue. This follows the departure of Deputy Chair Daniel Crennan over a similar issue. This change will possibly lead to a new direction for the regulator and a renewed focus on some of the issues we discuss in this episode. Andrew Wooden, welcome to Wide Vice. Thank you. All right, so you are the general manager at FYG Planners, so you pretty much see everything, you know everything, and uh, you're a good guide to take us through the back office of financial advice. So can you briefly sort of lay out for us what uh, AFSL is? Uh, because that can be a broad definition, right? It can, it can, yeah. So an AFSL is an Australian financial services licence. Um, in order to provide uh, product advice, uh, you must hold a licence. Uh, and so uh, companies like FYG hold that licence and then authorise um, both individuals and companies to to act as their authorised representatives and to provide advice um, to clients uh, under that. And then there's a bunch of requirements that as a, as a holder of the licence, uh, we have to uh, adhere to probably. Uh, uh, the biggest one, the most important one, is to, to ensure that we act efficiently, fairly and honestly and that we comply with all of the relevant financial laws. Um, there's, there's a number of other things around making sure we you know, uh, train and ongoingly and, and make sure our advisors are competent to provide advice and so on. But uh, but they're the main things around uh, or, or what an AFSL is and why it exists uh, in the first instance. Right. So in further on from that, what, what role does a financial uh, planning dealer group play in helping to deliver advice? Because obviously there's that regular, uh, regulatory um, area that you just spoke of, but there's obviously a lot more to it than that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so there's probably a, there's probably a number, and it probably varies to some degree. A business uh, like FYG provide um, our authorised reps, our advisors, with with a range of services to support them. But, um, obviously, the first ones around compliance to ensure that they're doing what they do and that they know what they need they need to do. Um, there's technology, there's operational support, um, but it's also uh, vital for the licensee to set the standards that, that are in force about uh, providing quality and professional advice. Um, and so we, we do that in a range of ways through policies and processes and, uh, and, and the culture that we establish as part of being part of a, a group like that. Yeah, so essentially, it's in a way, it, the dealer group is uh, looking out on behalf of investors, you might say. But it's all... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. We, we, our focus is, is to ensure or, or allow our advisors to provide the advice to their clients uh, to make sure that advice is in their best interest and to make sure that we give them 
uh, all the tools and the support that they need in order to do that uh, as efficiently and, and fairly and honestly as they can. For an investor to better understand, what, what are the biggest cost components of delivering financial advice? Uh, well, there's regulatory costs. So actually holding a licence obviously has, has a cost associated with it. Um, um, there's, there's costs for having professional indemnity insurance, which you have to hold as part of that. Um, there's costs around uh, the licence for, for the regulator. Um, the ongoing costs, and, and then obviously the support around the structure uh, and, and the training of, of advisors um, are all embedded into what a license does and the support it provides. Yeah, so the Banking Royal Commission, they had a, had a fairly significant uh, cost impact on, on delivering financial advice. And what, what I found fascinating about that was it was the bigger institutions and I guess you could say significantly the banks who were found to be most at fault. Uh, so their behaviour causes a regulatory reaction, which we've seen, and that it goes on to increase the costs and their response is, look, we're out of here, we don't want to do this anymore, yeah. uh, which shows you what their commitment was to financial advice. Uh, and the industry is still uh, here and it's left with the mess uh, to clean up. Um, and a lot of people who on, on the client side now are excluded from the advice process because... It's cost uh, prohibitive. So, how do you how do you see advice becoming more affordable to to people again? I this is a very interesting question, and it's it's a it's a the cyclical nature of um, of the way uh, the financial advice profession, I guess, has evolved over the years. That we see um, institutions become involved in, in advice in order to um, promote the sale of their products. Um, uh, you know, over and above someone else's, and and, and you know, control the the um, the distribution channel, if you like. Or uh, we hear we hear the term vertical integration a lot, and 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 about well, the advisor sits under my license, and I've got some products to sell. I can encourage them uh, to sell mine, and and then we can make money right the way through that process. And I think from a pro advisor professional point of view. Um, um, We've probably failed a, a bit in the past around um, around demonstrating that professionalism, and I think um, one of the things that, that that I'm keen to see around cutting advice, cutting the cost of advice, um, is around making sure that the way we regulate advisors and the way that we support them and, and is focused on on the end client. And, and, and meeting their end needs and delivering um, uh, what what they really what they really need and what they're really looking for in relation to um, secure financial security um, protection over their their assets and and uh, protecting uh, their loved ones from from any unforeseen uh, I think there are options to reduce um, uh, the the cost um, but and, but regulation is driving a lot of cost um, in, into into firms, and it's important that we that we look for ways to deliver that more cheaply. So, what's interesting I found was on the lending side. Now, uh, the government are already trying to water down responsible lending, as we've probably seen in the last few weeks, as they want to get more credit into the system. It doesn't seem like there's a lack of credit or finance out there because we talk to finance brokers and at the moment they're so busy they can barely breathe. Uh, 
whether these changes are, are the banks or the government's wishes, maybe both, do you think there's a lack of lobbying power for financial advice and, and even financial literacy now? Because it seems like we're heading down the path of pumping every last dollar into real estate and <laughs> send every dollar into, into real estate and then you reverse mortgage your way out in retirement, which seems like the way, way we're going now. Yeah, it's, it, I've... I've I've been interested in watching the uh, the relaxation of the, of the lending laws and and suspect that that'll end the same way it's ended every other time with with um, with uh, you know low doc or no doc loans as they were called back in the day and 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 people borrowing money that they've got no chance of ever repaying um, on investments or on property that that was never worth as much as uh, as 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 they thought it was worth. Um, yeah, look, I think I think that. It's been interesting to see that. I, I, I think the downside of that is that you, the the risk of bringing in um, um, unprofessional practices and, and unethical behaviour um, is higher now. Um, and, and and I don't think any, I don't think there's any doubt we'll see we'll see examples. Um, we may well end up with a lending royal commission in five or six years' time. Um, <laughs> dealing with, Dealing with similar problems that we saw, um, you know, um, happen across the advice industry in, in the Banking Royal Commission. But, um, you know, property has a place to play in people's investment portfolio, and I think it's important that um, that we manage that along with a well diversified uh, mix of of assets and asset classes to, to to make sure that they they manage the highs and the lows. So do you see that uh, uh, financial advice is actually being uh, listened to at the moment? There is enough, uh, I, I guess, lobbying that is actually being heard. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm, I, I, I'm not sure that it, that it has. It's easier to react to bad news than it is to deal with good. Um, you know, we know um, people that get advice are better off, um, yep. generally speaking, than those that don't. We know that. Um, not only are they financially better off, but 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 they have more security and, and more comfort around their circumstances than otherwise. Um, so I think I think it's it, 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 I think that's a good point, and I think that it, it will be interesting uh, to see um, how the government deal with that. But I'd like to see um, us focus on on um, ensuring that we deliver quality advice um, to the people that need it um, and help them uh, with their futures. Yeah. One thing you touched on earlier there about uh, some of the services that a dealer group may provide was uh, professional indemnity insurance. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of a situation with uh, that right now, which may be a, another threat to financial advice in Australia. So can you tell us about what's, what's been happening there? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, as I mentioned earlier, it is one of the requirements of holding a licence that you have appropriate professional indemnity insurance in place. Um, the market for getting that cover is tighter than it's ever been. There's lots of, uh, or a number of providers no longer offering uh, PLA insurance to advisors, um, scared off by the outcomes of the Royal Commission and the risk of claims, uh, as opposed to the reality of, of, of actually there being claims. Um, and so, obviously, um, like any market, the, the less competition there is, the more the prices go up. Um, and so we've seen a significant increase in, in price um, to, to get our, 
PI cover. Um, that obviously has a flow-on effect to the cost of advice provided to clients. We've, we've just begun, or probably a month or so, begun the, the journey on, on renewing our, our PI. You know, that's a five-month journey that will require some constant work uh, over, over the next five months in order to, um, um, to secure and then finalise and get in place PI for the following year. So um, it, it, it certainly is, is one, of the, one of the significant costs of, uh, of holding a licence and providing advice. Yeah. yeah. Earlier in the year, there was uh, some news out from the um, FPA or the Financial Planning Association suggesting maybe the AFSL system or more so dealer groups had, uh, had their time can you explain what you think was going on with that? <laughs> Perhaps to some degree, the FPA trying to make themselves relevant. Um, <laughs> um, Saying they're not. I, think, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but I think I, I think that um, you, you know they make they make some they make some valid um, points and, and, and there's some rational sense in, in what they say. For example, you know, advisors since the beginning of of the year have been subject to the FASIA code, the Financial Advisor Standards uh, and Ethics Authority. Now that code um, um, sits on the advisors to be held accountable to or to, or to be, um, or to adhere to. It's not on the AFSL to adhere to. Um, and so in one sense, this idea that advisors are now um, individually responsible uh, is, is true, um, but I think it misses the point around the range of other services, the issue of PI, as we've just touched on. Um, um, you know, a, a single advisor having to go out and get their own PI and, and, and suddenly 25,000 or 22,000 of them having to do that every year. In the same um, market, yeah. It, yeah, in, 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 in the same market becomes um, increasingly difficult. Plus the other support that we mentioned, whether that's technology, um, um, cost effectiveness, and so on. I mean, just just in, in in the next twelve months, we expect significant changes to half a dozen or more um, laws that that set standards around breach reporting, um, dealing with complaints, um, uh, reference checking. Um, consents and FDS and, and, and so on and so forth, insurance claims and, and, and it goes on. Um, um, if individual advisors had to be over all of, all of that all of the time, um, their ability to actually sit in front of clients and provide them with advice would be se severely limited. Um, and so again, the role of the AFSL is to be on top of all of that for them, to, 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 to put in place the systems and processes and to help them and make sure that they understand all of those things without yeah. necessarily having to spend hours upon hours it is to read regulatory guides and corpse act and, and, and so on to, to, to keep on top of it. So I, I think that that's, that's the, key the key part missing in the FPA's um, vision is or you know, in, in a self-licensed world, how, how does advisor keep on top of, um, you know, all of that um, without the support of, without the support of a, of a of a bigger business that can resource itself to do that? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when you think about it that way, you can almost make the point that uh, you've got the AFSL there who's doing all this sort of stuff for um, the individual advisor, um, making sure that 
they're on top of the legislation. Then you've got the advisor who can then focus on uh, being on top of the specific uh, legislation and investment changes for the uh, the client or the investor. Absolutely right, and and that's a really key point to make. I think in this whole in in that whole conversation, to 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 allow the advisor to spend their time doing what they do really well, which is understanding the client, building that relationship, servicing them, and understanding the products and services and strategies that are best suited in, in the best interest of the client without having to worry about, well, have I ticked this box in relation to a fee consent form or what do I need to do around reporting this complaint or, or this issue and, and, and know that their AFSL has got their back in dealing with all of that is, is vital. Yep. Um, one other thing I'll, I'll, I'll just bring up. Uh, we, we noticed there was a, I don't know whether you came across it, but we noticed that uh, one, of the, one of the bigger institutions who's still involved in financial advice, IWF, um, have been going down the path of goals-based or value-based advice. And um, there was a, an article in the, in the Australian a few months ago suggesting that they'd actually nearly co- come up with the concept themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and this was going to be their revolutionary new rollout. So um, how do you see the, the fact that institutions are now uh, coming over to the, the values or, or goals-based advice? It, it's just, I mean, it, you know, we touched on earlier what, what an AFSL is and, you know, and, and I said it's about you know, to give pro- financial product advice. Um, and, and that's an interesting statement in and of itself that... that um, Really, for most advisors, and particularly the vast majority, if not all FYG advisors, the focus of their advice is less on product advice and more on strategy yep. and support advice um, and, and goals-based advice in that sense. Uh, um, turns out I'm not particularly fussed and, and our advisors aren't particularly fussed whether they sell product A or product B. have got no, no particular interest one way or the other um, and certainly have no financial interest one way or the other. Um, so focused on what is it that the client's seeking? What is it that, you know, us, you know, we ask our clients what's important to them. You know, what, what, why are they seeking advice and what do they think or what do they hope that their advisor can do for them? And I think they're important questions that, that um, have nothing to do with whether product A is better or, or more suited than product B. And, and so um, it's funny when you see the big institutional suddenly um, um, inventing and coming up with this new idea of goals-based advice or, or strategy-focused advice or, or whatever phrase they want to give it today. Um, because the fact is that's, that's existed for a long time and a vast majority of advisors uh, in a professional space have been doing that for years and years. Yeah. It's like everything, we're always looking for uh, technology to... Uh whether it be save us or improve things. And FYG always wants to find the best technology solutions, but obviously we're, we're never going to be there and everything is a work in progress. But so if, if you could wave a wand, what would you want out of a technology <laughs> solution to, that you could implement today? Oh, it'd be a big one. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot. But, but uh, technology is not the be all and end all. It, it, needs, it's an, it should be... In, an enabler of, of business and an enabler of advisors giving better advice. So things that are time-consuming and, um, and hold minimal value in relation to return on, on time, things like data collection, things like um, generating reviews 
um, performance reports, um, even sometimes it, some some types of advice um, should be um, uh, automated. We should use technology to to do those things where we can. I think you know the recent experience in you know over the last eight or nine months with COVID and people being forced to work remotely and, and hold meetings remotely has opened up the door that that um, both advisors and clients could happily um, exist where where they hold meetings um, you know over over zoom or over over, over other web enabled uh, video devices but it, it all has to be about delivering a solution that frees up advisors to actually do the valuable part and that is sit in front of the client build that build and form the relationship with them become the trusted advisor um, so that they can deliver the advice and the client um, um, is, is in a better place and, and, and financially more secure. And, and, that, and that's what technology needs to be um, uh, to free advisors up to do those things. Yep. So obviously on, on that um, area, we've been working on a, on a platform called WealthEye. So what's the thinking behind that? So WealthEye is a platform or a portal that allows the client and the advisor to engage with each other um, uh, in a range of ways. You know, it, it allows them, it, well, it eliminates the need for a client and an advisor to, to share personal and sensitive information via email, and they can now do that um, through a secure uh, portal um, through WealthEye to allow um, um, statements and, and and other and other financial and personal information that's shared uh, uh, between client and, and advisor uh, that way. It will also allow clients to um, interact in the review journey, to complete some questionnaires, um, to see their advice, to access their advice uh, whenever they want, whether that's the most recent advice they received um, or the advice that they initially received five years ago from their advisor to be able to go into the portal and access that, uh, review it, um, um, ask their advisor any questions, uh, comment on it, um, track the status of where they're going, track um, how they're tracking to their goals. Have they, are they on track to, to meet their, their retirement goal or their savings goal for a particular, for a particular um, event or a particular um, activity? Um, all of those things we see being delivered through WealthEye uh, in time. Um, and again, to, just to allow uh, a more secure and a better engagement with clients. Yeah, so I think the security issue is probably um, pretty important on that aspect. If you can cut out the, the email, which we see these, these days, I don't know how many times recently I've seen these stories in, in the media where such and such has had something, in, someone has had something intercepted and they've made a payment to someone and, and things have just tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars and then all of a sudden they've got yeah. to chase, chase this money. Um, well, yeah. we saw the example with the government of uh, CCing everyone into um, information about getting back to Australia from DFAT oh, yeah. not so long ago that um, disclosed a whole bunch of personal information uh, um, uh, to a whole bunch of other people and I'm certainly glad I wasn't uh, part of that and had my information shared. So um, emails are... Emails are a pretty insecure way of sending information, and we've we've come to rely on it a little bit too much, I think, um, over time. And 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 so, um, you know, 
as things have become more digital and we've become um, more comfortable sharing and, and, and sending information electronically, uh, we have to find more secure ways to do that. And, and doing it through a portal, which, which ensures that it, it, it doesn't go out through you know, email and, and, and the risk that someone puts the wrong email address in it or, or includes the wrong person or, or whatever it might be, um, um, just ensures that, that, that security, you know, we, we, we can send secure information to our client uh, without it ever leaving our systems and they can access it, they can view it, they can comment on it, they can sign it. Um, and it's never actually left the security of sitting behind firewalls and multi-factor authentication. Uh, and I think that's a really important part as, as, as we go forward. Mm. So I guess we'll, we'll uh, end this by uh, doing an overall question, or if we could sum everything up. If you had an audience uh, with maybe the relevant ministers uh, in the government, <laughs> what, what changes or suggestions would you make to uh, balance the protection of investors uh, while also minimising the cost to them? I think the first thing I might say is leave us alone. Um, um, <laughs> stop regulating us and stop um, um, and stop developing regulation and laws to deal with the lowest common denominator and realise that the vast majority of advisors are, are professionals delivering high quality of advice. As we said, we know study after study shows that um, um, Clients that have advisors are, are feel far more secure about their financial circumstance. We know from studies from the states that they're actually they perform their performance of investments are better because they don't sell at the wrong times and buy at the wrong times. They sell at the right times and buy at the right times and do all of those things. Um, I think, um, and I think the other thing that I'd be saying is you know accept that that that, that advise clients are less of a drain on the public purse in the future, yep. um, because because they'll be more financially depend, independent. They'll they'll be less reliant on government um, support as as they age. Um, um, you know, even from an insurance perspective as well. I think I think that those things are important. And 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 the other thing I would say is, you know, clean up the overregulation. Clean up the fact that. Um, you know, potentially an advisor now, you know, in any given year will we'll, we'll send a client um, up to four documents in which they tell us them how much the client's paying. And, and I, I, again, I think clients know how much they're paying and, and, having to t and having to tell them twice and get them to sign a couple of times a year for the same thing, um, a, con a confuses everyone, adds to the cost, over adds to the regulation and, again, takes advisors away from, from what it is that they're really good at and they really should be spending their time in, and that is delivering high-quality advice um, to their clients. Yeah, when you say that, I guess you, you have um, clients who are almost shaking their fist at the fact that they have to, uh, they're confronted with all this paperwork and <laughs> they're, oh, we, they're enraged by it, are they? Yeah, we quite often get queries from the advisors going, I'm, I'm sick and tired of clients saying, why are you giving me this? And it's like, well, we have to, the, the law says that we have to give you this and that you have to sign it. You know, and I say, but, but I just signed something a year ago. Why do I have to do it again? Well, you know, um, because we the government's... We need to confirm to that you actually still want to stay with us again. Yeah, 
Um, and yet, and and yet, the the file record on that on that client shows that client and the advisor have spoken a dozen times in in, in that twelve months. It would be hard to argue the client's not engaged in that process. Mm. Um, but but yet, I've now got to send them a separate document, and and they've got to sign it, and they've got to consent, and you know, and if they don't do that within a certain time frame, the fees have got to get turned off, and a whole administrative wheel kicks into motion to, to deal with making sure we turn the fees off in time and we do all the things that we need to do only for the client to ring five days later and go, why are you no longer my advisor? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think, you know, we, 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 we've, regulated, we've regulated for financial product advice and for sales, not for professional strategic advice of which a product recommendation is just an outcome. Um, of, of that strategy and, and that strategic advice. And we've regulated to deal with, um, dare I say, the lowest common denominator that is, is rewarded and focused on selling a certain product um, because everyone wins in that, in that transaction except for the client. And, and if we focused the regulation on real professional financial advisors, I think, I think we'd see lower cost and better delivery of, of, of service and certainly certainly more access to more more people to advice. If anyone's listening. <laughs> if anyone's listening. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send this to that would be good. anyone who will hear it. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. All right, Andrew. Good chat. Oh, good. Thanks Appreciate you, you coming on. This podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances. The circumstances of each investor are different and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on the podcast to make investment decisions and should always seek professional advice. The hosts and guests of the podcast may have positions in securities mentioned or discussed. Mansell Financial Group is an authorised representative number 226266 and credit representative number 403187 of FYG Planners Proprietary Limited, AFSL ACL number 224543. Thank you for listening to Why Advice.